0: Section 17 of Life of a Sir Walter Raleigh by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 10. Accession of James I. Part 1. A few hours after Elizabeth's death, a meeting was held at Whitehall consisting of the privy councillors and such peers as were in London, the Lord Mayor, and a few other persons to them cecil submitted a proclamation which he had prepared announcing the accession of james the sixth of scotland to the throne of england as elizabeth had never married the direct line of henry the eighth came to an end at her death all through her reign much anxiety had been caused by uncertainty about the succession elizabeth could never be persuaded to name her successor at first this policy was wise especially during the lifetime of mary queen of scots the recognition of a catholic successor would have given a dangerous head to the intrigues of spain the recognition of any successor at all would have created a centre for malcontents and would have weakened the queen's position but toward the end of elizabeth's reign much anxiety might have been spared had the queen clearly recognized james the sixth of scotland as her successor still the thought of any successor was distasteful to her she was afraid lest if she acknowledged the claim of james the sixth he would try to interfere with english affairs and so she adhered to the policy which had become a habit to her but her refusal to consider the question of the succession could not keep her subjects from doing so it was discussed in secret books were written about it and many intrigues were carried on many different claims were put forward essex had accused cecil of favouring the claim of the infanta isabella daughter of philip the but this claim though it was a good deal talked about obtained no countenance except from some of the most violent catholics it had been put forward by them because they saw no other chance of getting a catholic sovereign to find any grounds for her claim they had to trace her descent from eleanor daughter of henry the who had married alfonso the of Castile few even of the catholics would have been willing to recognize a claim such as this which ignored the rights of the house of tudor and would have handed over england to a foreigner the real question lay between the houses of suffolk and of stuart which both sprung from sisters of henry the eighth the parliamentary title belonged to the house of suffolk an act of parliament had given henry the eighth the right of disposing of the succession by will and he had declared in his will that after his own children and their issue the crown should pass to the house of suffolk this will led to the ill-fated attempt to place lady jane grey upon the throne after her execution the claim of the house of suffolk passed to her sister catherine and then to her son lord beecham but this claim had been rendered doubtful by uncertainty as to the validity of his parents marriage in reality after the death of mary queen of scots had removed all fear of the succession of a roman catholic little doubt remained as to the right of the house of stuart the house of stuart derived its claim from margaret tudor henry the sister who had married james the fourth king of scotland james the sixth of scotland was the great-grandson of margaret tudor from time to time the claim had been advanced of another descendant of margaret's by her second marriage with the earl of angus this was arabella stuart the second cousin of james the sixth an opinion was held by some on legal grounds that her claim was the better because she had been born in england but she was without ambition for herself and her claim was never seriously brought forward it was indeed nothing but a burden to her by making her an object of suspicion first to elizabeth and then to james it is not strange that amidst these various claims men had looked forward to the death of elizabeth as likely to produce serious disturbances james himself had never dared to hope that he would succeed peaceably he had tried to prepare the way for his succession by making a party for himself in england and with this view had entered into correspondence with essex and others and had shown himself ready to take any steps which might ensure his succession his correspondents, of course took this opportunity of laying stress upon their own importance and the use they might be to him and of blackening the characters of their rivals at court or in the government one of the chief of these correspondents was lord henry howard raleigh's bitterest enemy and a man who thought no lie too base to be uttered if he could only do harm to an enemy or advance himself in his letters he indulged in the most venomous slanders against raleigh and managed to fill james's mind with suspicion and fear of him amongst others robert cecil entered into correspondence with james he thought it wise to prevent him from taking any foolish steps with a view to ensuring his succession he told him that if he would remain quiet and do nothing rash his succession would follow as a matter of course james had been prejudiced against cecil by essex who had always maintained that cecil favoured the title of the infanta he was now delighted to find him among his friends he listened to his advice And quietly bided his time. Their correspondence was kept secret from Elizabeth, but the knowledge of Cecil's support sufficed to keep James from taking any unwise steps. News was at once sent to Edinburgh of Elizabeth's death and of the proclamation of James. All suspense was soon at an end, for by the fifth of April letters were received from James confirming all officers in their places till he could reach London. James set out from Edinburgh on the 5th April. On his way south, every country house was thrown open to him, and all kinds of festivities were prepared for his amusement. The English gentry, accustomed to the elaborate manners which Elizabeth liked her courtiers to display, must have been a little shocked at the appearance and manners of James. His ungainly figure, his rolling walk, his spluttering way of talking were the reverse of kingly whilst his broad scottish pronunciation offended english ears. but he was good-humoured and full of desire to rule his kingdom well delighted with the warm reception with which he was met he did his utmost to make himself agreeable to his new subjects james was now in his thirty-seventh year and up till this time had been kept entirely under the power of the presbyterians in scotland Still smarting under the restraints which he had endured at their hands, he came away from Scotland with a strong dislike to Presbyterianism and a decided leaning to Episcopalianism. He had very considerable intellectual powers, and his ambition was to be regarded as the most learned man in the two kingdoms. His knowledge and reading, especially in theology, were considerable. He was pedantic, but in those days when the revival of learning had opened up again the study of the greek and latin languages knowledge was apt to make even the greatest students pedantic the new learning had not yet been brought into accord with actual life the possession of it seemed to make a man something apart from his fellows james was shrewd and possessed of strong common sense he could read other men's characters he could trace the causes of disorder and disturbance and could lay down principles of calm wisdom which he did not always apply to his own conduct he was constitutionally timorous and had no sympathy for the spirit of enterprise the love of energy and activity which elizabeth had encouraged in her subjects he wished to bind men to him by personal favours and get them to do his will not to take men as he found them and give them opportunities for using their abilities for the good of their country he was himself incapable of a strong enthusiasm or of a noble passion and could not understand it in others he had not the practical wisdom that enabled elizabeth to choose out men of merit for state employment to get every man about her to do his best to distinguish himself in the eyes of his sovereign and his country he had a high estimation of the royal power. It was in his reign that the idea of the divine right of kings grew up. He wished above all things to advance the monarchy in England. He disliked Parliament, for, as he once said, five hundred kings were assembled there, and he thought it his duty to resist its power. His influence on the fate of England was very great, for his views gave the tone to the policy of the House of Stuart a policy which the englishman whom elizabeth unconsciously to herself had helped to nurture in the love of freedom could not endure end of section seventeen